0: You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Anybody who's coming in from the grass, come on in. Little girls dressed up, please come straight to the front. I love it. I love it. Um... Hi, everyone. Welcome to our MPAB event, Burn It to the Ground. Um, Before I start introducing our panellists, I'll just give a little bit of background to the event. So, I wrote the pitch for this this event the day after the last elections and was just sitting and watching the pretty abysmal numbers come through for, for female candidates. And I think... I was probably still a little little bit high on election fever while I wrote it and was pretty angry um, because there are children in the the (laughs) audience. I might not use the actual language that that I would use. Um, And so the next day, I started going around and talking to all of the, the people and the women in my life. Um, just trying to work out what had happened and all of the people around me are pretty politically savvy, very engaged people and it would always get to this point, I'm like, why are we not running, like why are you not running for government, why are you not involved in a party and the same sentiment kept on coming back and everybody would just be like, oh mate, just just burn it to the ground. And I think that that's a great sentiment and we all feel like that. But it then begs the question, well, what comes next? You know, let's work from the premise. We've burnt it from the, to the ground. Well, what comes next? What do you need us to build so that these beautiful young women can feel a part of and a part of creating their political system? So that's kind of the background and I just wanted to to be a part of a conversation and so I'm so glad to have that conversation with you guys and with our beautiful panellists and just to also sort of explain the format for today, so it kind of runs in two parts, we'll have a panel discussion but it's really an open conversation for everybody who's here, it's not about us just talking like we want to hear from you. And then when we're kind of done with that bit, there's a design workshop. So there's a series of stations all around here where we'll really encourage everybody to really get involved and quite literally rip it apart. Like rip apart the system, draw, recraft, get stickers, like recraft the system that you want to see. And then we take that information away and we can turn it into whatever is kind of defined through that process. If it's an instruction booklet for um, Mm six-year-olds, then that's what we'll go make. If it's, you know, a digital campaign, that's what we'll go make. So, that's the event. So, please stick around for all of those. There's wine, there's coffee, you know, please come and stick around with us. So, to kick off the kind of panel portion or the conversation portion... Um, again, to stress, you guys are here. This is your chance to sort of add in at any point in time. But I'm going to introduce... So, one of our panellists, Kate Chapman. So, Kate is a Urali Niimpa woman, um, born and raised in Yunwal country in Canberra. She works at the Commission for Children and Young People and previously worked for JIRA, an Aboriginal organisation that works to prevent violence against women. Kate advocates for community-led initiatives to address intersecting forms of inequality that drive violence against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and children. Welcome, Kate.
0: <laughs>
1: and then we have Sarah Cow. Sarah is the chief strategy officer and partner at Portable, a company that seeks out areas of social need and policy failure and uses design and technology to deliver better services to citizens. She sees the workplace as one of the environments where she can most easily support women leaders and is curious about how this might translate to broader spheres. Welcome. Um. So, to set the scene a little bit or to, you know, give us a, a bit of contact, context of where we're at, um, in Australia, research from Plan International shows that only 2% of girls aged 10 to 14 listed politician as a future career option. That 2% drops to 0% by the time they're 18 to 25 the number one reason that girls and women cited for that drop-off or that lack of confidence was a fear of how they would be unfairly treated compared to men. So it's pretty direct, like, the fear and the, um, the acknowledgement of what sexism will look like if you go into politics. And I would say positions of power more broadly. Women are aware of it and they're opting out before they even sort of take the step. Compounding that, uh, young people are kind of discouraged as well, you know, more broadly. So the Australian election study, which interviewed 11,000 young Australians aged 18 to to 29, showed only 7% of young people believe politicians are acting in their favour. So young people, and part of this study as well also showed that Young people were increasingly interested in politics and interested in political issues, but were increasingly just not trusting the the politicians and and the systems that we have. So, I just wanted to sort of throw it out to the crowd first. I'm really glad that we've got a pretty broad mix of people, but who here would count themselves as pretty politically engaged or interested, or maybe you're involved in a party, or maybe you're involved in watching, you know, political shows on TV, who would personally count themselves as politically engaged? Put your hands up. Yeah, raise it up, raise it up. (laughs) Yeah, so most people. um, Out of those people, who's actually thought about going into politics or into some sort of formal structure of political involvement yeah okay so it suddenly drops to kind of none and for the people who initially had their hands up would anybody like to share why you kind of step back from that why you like you were like I'm interested but I don't want to do it no okay everybody's feeling scared I'll share my story then (laughs) So, I, knew, I remember being about 10 years old and being like, I want to be Prime Minister. Like, I want to be involved in politics. And I can't even remember the age, but pretty young, like at 12, I kind of already knew or had this idea in my head that I could not do that until I was at least 40 because I knew that I was going to get harassed so much and I knew that I was going to get attacked. And so, I had this idea from like 10 that I had to be old enough and strong enough to withstand that. So, I think that's part of what we want to look at through the design workshop, through the discussion, like what happens in that gap between you want to be involved or you want to be politically engaged and then you something happens along the way. So, I'm going to throw to whoever wants to grab in first, but... Do you think that we need to burn it all to the ground and start again? Or is it possible to work within the system that we have now? Maybe I'll throw to Kate first. Um, so, I never used to
0: be like this. Like, when people hear me talk now, I think I sound really radical and maybe a little bit paranoid even, um, but yeah, I used to think that like political change was just around the corner. Like there was just someone just needed to develop like this amazing new policy, or there just needed to be this amazing new leader who came along. But I can kind of pinpoint the moment where I realised that it wasn't working, and it was never designed to work, at least not for Aboriginal people. And it was a couple of years ago. I was um, in my old job. Um, at Jira, we were working on um, the campaign to decriminalise public drunkenness, um, and I was kind of like just going through the history of that like idea in law reform, and then I came across my dad's name, um, because he had worked on it forty years before, and it's like you know it's a really simple thing. It's 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 an it's just an act, you know, decriminalise... It's it's in the Crimes Act, decriminalise public drunkenness, you'll save lives, Aboriginal people won't be in prison. Um, It's the simplest thing and it's 40 years later and it's only just happened in Victoria. So that was... Yeah, that was when I thought, like, oh, the system's not broken, it's just never been meant to work for Aboriginal people. And... A system that is kind of designed around being unfair and unequal can't be fixed because that's at its very core. So,
1: yeah, and so burn it to the ground. It's so burn it <laughs> to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm interested in that, Sarah. For you, because a lot of the work that you do with, por- or some of the work that you do with Portable, is about working within existing sort of government structures and putting a design systems lens, do you think it's better to... Do we need to start from scratch or can you kind of nudge and tweak things along to a
2: better place? Well, I think post this um, summer that we've had... Asking the question if we should burn it to the ground feels like a luxury because, let's face it, it is burning to the ground. Um, and what I've noticed, though, is that when something is in a state of emergency, when something is truly burning to the ground, an incredible sense of community and participation emerges, new leaders emerge. Um, and part of me is is wondering why or if we should wait for things to, to become so urgent um, when actually we have a relative uh, position of power while things aren't um, burning to the ground in order to do things. I think working with Portable, we work a lot with um, government, mostly state government, and I believe truly that government is one of the, the places where in the public service world um, a lot of effort and willpower and funds is directed to providing, uh, at least intending to provide, both equity and equality to the diverse population that the state governments serve. Um, and I've actually learnt to really distinguish how politics is different from the public sector mm. and how I wanna support government, I wanna support women in leadership in government. And I'm not ready to say that I want to support women leaders in our political um, environment because I don't believe it's supported. And I get the chills thinking about what happened to Julia Gillard and why would I want to send any of um, my friends, my colleagues, my sisters, my peers, I would never send them into that environment. And so I've actually chosen to focus my... Um, my sights on leadership not within politics but in a large sphere of influence in community and government and participation that leaves you know the likes of Parliament House well alone for the most part.
1: So kind of picking up on that I had and it's a bit of a double-edged or double-sided question but uh, you know picking up on what you've just raised around you know the opportunity for community and the way that women come together to support each other in different spheres so you feel strong in light of that kind of never-ending barrage of sexism what is making you most angry at the moment and or what's giving you hope like are there women around you who are doing that for you or you get a kick out of doing it for others
0: So, I'll start off with the positive things, maybe. Um, uh, at the moment, what's giving me hope is a lot of, like, community-driven initiatives, um, you know, working from the ground up to make a difference rather than top down. So, thinking of uh, organisations like Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance here in Melbourne, um, GMA, the Grandmothers Against Removal, um, who, yeah, working to keep kids with their families. Um, God, who else? Sisters Inside, who um, like a a really credible um, organisation who who are getting like prison abolition um, on the agenda. So and yeah, all led by really amazing amazing women. Um, what makes me angry, I guess, is is tied to that. Uh, what makes me hopeful, it's that up here, there's nobody listening or acknowledging the good work that is being done on the ground and in communities. And that the things that have been proven to work for First Nations people all around the world, uh, which is self-determination and self-government, are not being considered here, even when you have these brilliant examples of of programs that do work for
1: our people. So I want to kind of pick up on that a bit. Because when we start to think about how we can reimagine and re envision the system as a whole, like for you and within the space that you work within, how legitimate is the system that we have at all? And can you, you know, for people who who maybe know less about the abolitionist movement yeah. or um, self determination movements, yeah. like what can we draw from those discussions? So I think, yeah, when we
0: talk about self determination, which I don't know if anybody here works in government, in Victorian government, but I feel like you can't really go, like, two hours, at least um, where I work, without hearing about it, but I don't think anybody actually knows what it means. And the fact is, when we talk about self-determination in a government context, the fact is government still controls everything. So we talk about treaty, um, you know, having elections for, like, the, the Treaty Commission... It's still a process that's completely directed by government. It's not true self-determination. But I think what we can learn from things like Aboriginal sovereignty and abolition, especially probably prison abolition, is that change can be achieved and not through, like, violent revolution. Like, uh, prison abolition kind of sets out uh, steps for decarceration, you know, first... Uh, decriminalising certain behaviour, releasing non-violent offenders, programs for early intervention and prevention. So it doesn't have to be this, this violent or this, like, sudden dramatic change for all these systems that we've come to think of as, like, static and completely indisposable. It can just happen one step at a time, you know? Change can happen one step at a time, even with something as seemingly permanent in our in our lives as prisons. Yeah. And Aboriginal sovereignty I think is important because we can question the very legitimacy of Australia, <laughs> of Ternolius, of yeah, of, of everything that our political and legal systems are are based on now. I think yeah, they're movements that help us Yeah. Question.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and Sarah you know, there's, that, there's the role of questioning and the, the bit that I kind of, I personally feel is really kind of lacking or I look for more is like the questioning but then also the imagination to kind of envision something else and that's where I think particularly, you know, artists, designers, creatives have such an incredible role to play and like playing that part of, of thinking through what could our dream scenario look like? What could a more equal system look like? And I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, from the work that you guys do, um, how do you feel like a design lens or a systems design lens could be used or applied to re-envisioning at all?
2: Um, Sure. So, the company I work for is essentially it's like a digital, excuse me, a digital agency or it was about four years ago. Um, And the founders took a good look at themselves and said... Uh, you know, we're running a business, what are we running it for? What do we actually care about? And they decided to become a B Corp. So that means that the company pursues purpose-driven work as well as profit. Um, And they recognised that human-centred design was going to be a game-changer about how um, service providers to the government could actually bring the voice of the citizen or the voice of the user Uh, into the conversation. And what I've learnt is that I used to be an artist. Uh, That meant that I used to be a little bit itinerant, (laughs) completely dependent on government grant funding or eking out together whatever I could get from hospitality and a mix of other freelance work.
1: We've all lived the hustle. Yeah, Yeah, we've
2: we've all definitely had to hustle. And what I've learnt is that okay, all of the stuff that I had in my artistic practice, uh, which was very much community-based, I can now apply and uh, and deliver by saying, hey, where I used to do community arts, uh, I can now take the same kind of practices, the same approach, the same um, position as, I am not the expert as the artist, I am not the expert as a designer, um, let me... Let me bring my skills to facilitate what you are experts in. And I find that really powerful.
1: And it's really different to how both government or politics works, where like, it's very much like hierarchical power, we're the expert, we're top-down, whereas the approach that you take is what it should actually be, like community-driven and like, what do you, the, you know, the group need.
2: Yeah. It's it's definitely that and I think I probably think, very
0: I think we should just replace politicians with community development
1: workers. Is
2: yes. yes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Done.
1: We've solved it all. Um well, like but then let's talk about some of the like what are the blocks that stop that from happening? Cuz um you know, I think that there are there are you know, there are very real and very um Uh, experienced all over the world, kind of blocks that women, non-binary, women of colour encounter. I mean, Kate, so Kate's a mate of mine. (laughs) Um, Kate, you're one of the most political beasts that I know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, I know that you've kind of made an active decision to stay out of politics so much so I'm just interested like what are what are the blocks that you think are encountered for women women of color and what does it mean to sort of actively choose to stay outside that so this question like really I mean, all of them made me think, but
0: this one just, like, made me sit back and be like, oh, my God, who am I? Like, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, And I realised that, you know, as much as I talk about how, um, you know, the system's broken, burn it to the ground, I realised that, yeah, the reason I choose not to get involved in politics on that level is probably more about, like, (laughs) self-care, And just that I'm really scared. Like, you see what... Well, I don't know if anyone watched Q&A um, a couple of weeks ago. Nova Paris was on and she was talking about the kind of um, abuse that she got. You know, get back in your box, you black. There are no kids around anymore. You black bitch. Like, um, she'd get hate mail from... Like, the AFP were tracking, like, all of her incoming mail. Um... And so it's just kind of... I can't imagine... Like, I, at the moment, I s- try and stay out of workplaces where I'm the only Aboriginal person. So I can't imagine going into an environment where everyone, pretty much everyone, is, like, over 60 and white and a man. Like, it just doesn't... It, I feel like Parliament House must be the most, like, culturally unsafe place in Australia. Um, and then you add, you know... there's the racism and then on top of that you add the the sexism so I was reading about like Natasha Stott Despoja, she entered parliament when she was 26 years old and after she had kids there are a fair few bunch of liberal politicians who wouldn't refer to her by her name, they just called her mother (laughs) so yeah I think it's like a, yeah it's a decision yeah based on self-preservation
1: and self care yeah I and I think it speaks to this issue of like um of visibility or being seen and that kind of you know the old notion of you can't be it if you can't see it and so it made me think Sarah as a designer and as an artist there's kind of a <laughs> like is it a branding problem or how do we you know how do we shift the kind of the the visuals and the stories Um, the storytelling around being a politician or being involved in politics or community um, and make those visuals seem more inclusive?
2: To tell you the truth, I'm not sure it's a visual um, issue or one of branding. I think that there's... It's, for me again, I'm going to highlight the point that I think it's an issue of participation and to your point, Kate where you want to put your energy and where you want to participate and choosing the right forum that where you both feel safe and supported and where you can provide that safe and supportive environment for others is really important Um, i do think though on being able to uh, be more visible one of the things that is both positive and negative in the work that i do and the work that i see Is that governments have now come very much on board with the idea of co-design and in fact it's seen as best practice if not standard practice which is awesome so it's shifted a little bit from uh, people who are in government taking a hand down from a government election promise from a minister that filters all the way down to someone who's writing policy just kind of scribbling it out and getting it checked it's actually shifted towards um, policy being a site for co-design. And the conversation for me that I'm seeing is shifting to who is going to co-design this and who can we bring in the room so that when we, um, as as a provider of this design facilitation service to government, I kind of see it as my responsibility to seek out the people who should be represented or who want to be represented and be able to bring them into the room because it's very hard for the government to be able to receive a report that they've paid a company like mine for and ignore the messages that we're sending through the participation of users who hold diverse viewpoints and who, through a collaborative facilitated process, have agreed on a policy that might work for everyone in the room. And... I I think that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. One of the problems though, is that we don't, we have a lot of trouble reaching out to underrepresented, um, sorry, um, underrepresented communities. And so I think one of the most powerful things that we could do is, um, is somehow reach out to the government departments that we are kind of involved with and say, hello, I am, it could even be as simple as, I'm a woman, I am 35, I'm really interested in small businesses, I am a stakeholder and letting people know that I am a stakeholder and I need to be invited into this process um, is going to be one of the game changers, I think, that we have a real opportunity for without needing to burn things to the ground so much, we can actually just say, hello, I exist and come and talk to me and I think that's, that's good and I hope it won't be ignored. Yeah,
1: and I think that that's, um, it's glad, I'm glad to hear you say that we're, we're seeing that kind of shift in how policy processes are, are being made and how, um, you know, certain decisions are happening, um, but I'm also kind of interested, maybe this is just a personal thing, but for me when I'm looking for inspiration right now, um, you know, and trying to hope that the world is getting better and it's not just a great dumpster fire I kind of have to look overseas to look at like Santa Marin and like you know young women who are rising up in other kind of jurisdictions and like the visuals around AOC and her campaign and I just think that the you know aside from a whole lot of other things like there are just more exciting stories and visuals to kind of connect with and I kind of st- I don't know maybe it's just me like who do you guys connect with right now when you're like I want to envision a really progressive and amazing Australian future I think of uh, like where do you go you know
2: <laughs> I think of <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think of Morrison and the Cole, but I think about how that has been appropriated in all of the best ways, I actually think about the visuals that are generated in the spheres of power and how they are reappropriated and go viral with an intention that they were never intended to produce. And for me, that's kind of the best branding and the best message. Right, the, the viral
1: meme, the viral meme
2: um okay well so I
1: like it so I feel like where we've kind of landed is what we kind of all already knew (laughs) community is everything um but it's nice to hear that sort of co-design processes are opening up space for that a little bit more
2: maybe has anyone here participated in something like that or um or could want to yeah how do you find it I I like
0: maybe it's never been um facilitated by an organization like portable mm-hmm. but i it's it seems to me like a at least in my experience with the with the Victorian government um having external facilitators it's just it's kind of okay so <laughs> I have a a story. So, you know, close the gap, that whole idea that we need to, yeah, life expectancy, education, all of that. Um, So the federal government decided we needed to refresh it. So they called it Close the Gap Refresh. Creative. (laughs) Catchy, catchy. (laughs) And to figure out what the target should be, they hired KPMG. They got them to do consultations all around the country. But the thing was... And they called it co-design. The thing was, these consultations were more KPMG staff and um, and Commonwealth um, government staff than, uh, Abri- than the Aboriginal community. And they decided who they invited, and that was political in itself, so they could get what they wanted out of the process um, and then... That was made worse by having, you know, 25 out of 40 people in the room being KPMG, white staff. So,
1: for me... It also begs the question as to, like, where government money goes and yeah. who actually benefits oh, K, from that process. KPMG,
0: PNC, P, P, um, PWC, just the big four. <laughs> yeah. That's where it goes. So, for me, co-design, the experiences I've had with it have just been, like, paternalism in a different in different clothing Mm. um but it can be done well I just don't think it is Mm. most of the time
1: what would make it better maybe we just get portable to do (laughs) like (laughs) that
0: sounds good well
2: how about how about (laughs) facilitators within the community could be trained up Um, to be able to actually run and design the sessions, yeah. you know, in a really authentic way. And you probably have people within the community that can actually bring um, participants to the table in a way that PwC doesn't even have a hope <laughs> <laughs> of doing. That would be... I, I'd, love, yeah. I'd love that. I'd love to and be able be to, like... To, that, yeah. that money
0: went to community rather than, I don't know, those guys over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Well, in the spirit of opening it up to community, um, our community here, um, you know, ha- have been open to questions all along, but does anybody have questions, thoughts, something that they want to share about how we could make the system more inclusive?
2: No, everyone's shy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I ask? And I... Yeah. I've I'm sorry for putting you on the spot, but I'm very curious about your story over here. Yeah. Can we hear it? A little bit. Yeah.
3: (laughs) About why we're here. Well, I'm I'm an educator. I've um, been around for a while. And um, I have brought my grandchildren with me today, my two granddaughters. (laughs) And... (laughs) From that, they're so embarrassed that I'm doing this. <laughs> from the time before that I was at M Pavilion, I actually bought them the book uh, "Get Elected," which okay. they have in their possession, and they admit they have flicked through it. <laughs> and I think you're right. Community has to be and has to be involved, and it has to come from the people who need the change. Like like you cannot. Change a system for Aboriginal people without Aboriginal people leading the leading the charge. You can't change a system for young people without having young people heard. And um, yeah, I'm I'm handing on the baton, guys. (laughs) 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 And um, we have creatives and Ella writes and. We don't know where that's going to go, yeah. yeah. It's going to go but to amazing theater. The, Theatrical, you know, theatre and, and writing and that kind of thing and we don't know where this one's going yet. She's <laughs> she's the baby of the family.
2: <laughs> it's okay to not know too, yeah. yeah. And it's okay to, you know, be old and then change your mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot at all, but did you <laughs> like the book Get Elected? Like, is it something that you've thought about or...? Wow, that's, that's awesome. What were you elected? Like, where did you get elected to? Oh, you poor thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We'll stop. Like the most sarcastic will come across Oh, yes. Okay, we'll move along. We'll move along. I understand. I understand. So embarrassing. <laughs> but thanks so much for being here. Um, well, to completely divert away then, I want to thank our panellists. And I want to invite you guys, so we have a whole series of stations around the space. Go and grab yourself a drink, grab a coffee, like have a little refresh. And then up here on the tables, um, there is a timeline of your kind of political life from the time that you learn about politics at school up until like you somehow magically made it into parliament and I would love it if people could kind of walk along that timeline and I have a feeling nobody will get that far but like walk along the timeline and leave a mark as to how far in the process you got and then so you can wander around like get a drink and wander around each of the stations but find something of a that kind of works for you or or like grabs your little heart. There's designing a campaign poster over here. There's, oh, I don't know where we've put everything now. So we've got, if you wanna redesign the actual process of voting, like how you go to a voting polling booth, you can make a little mini voting polling booth um, and craft it and like add stickers or like add whatever you need. If you're really into kind of protest, there's making little miniature protest signs over here. Uh, There's like a storytelling activity, which is all about, and this might be really great for you guys, (laughs) but it's around the kind of process when you're at school and you're learning about politics, like what did that process look like for you? And it's one of those old school kind of things that you did at camp where you write a sentence and pass it along. So, take a little wander around and then we've got, like, an hour and a bit, I think. Um, And, yeah, get crafty and then start ripping stuff apart. There's one my favourite station is, so is literally, like, rip the house apart. So, we've got all of these printouts of Parliament House and quite literally, like, feel free to rip stuff, add stuff on, like, what would a more inclusive Parliament House look like for you? Um... So, yeah, get crafty and then we'll take everything up and whatever information you guys give to us, we then go and look at that and go, oh, what can we design or make? And then we'll find a way to, through MPav, get back in touch with everybody and
2: share that out with you. Yeah. So, thank you, guys. Thank you, Annie, Mm. for getting us together. And thank you, guys.
1: Go get a drink. (laughs) And thank you, (laughs) MPavilion.
0: You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.